Let's pray and then let's dive in. Heavenly Father, it's just great to be here this morning. And uh, Lord, all of us uh, come here. Uh, most of us have just had just tough weeks. And so, Lord, I just pray for courage. I pray that we leave this place and realize that through your spirit and through your presence, Lord, anything is possible. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Years ago in a land far away, there was this really, really wealthy guy. And he had this beautiful daughter, and she was single. And so what he wanted more than anything is he wanted to find the bravest man to marry his daughter. So he, he threw out this invitation to all the eligible men all over the land, and they came to this extremely wealthy man's house, had this amazing meal that he had this spread. Guys love amazing meals. And then he said, now I need all of you to go with me to the backyard. They went to the backyard. He had this amazing pool. And they're like, wow, this is great. He goes, I have a challenge. Are you guys up for a challenge? They're like, oh, man, are we ever up for a challenge? He said, here's the deal. You know I have this beautiful daughter. She's single, and I'm trying to find the bravest man in all the land. They said, oh, that's great. He said, one catch. You can either have my daughter, or if you'll accept this challenge and complete it, I'll give you a million dollars. And they're like, go, go, go. And they said, okay, here we go. You see this huge pool? It's full of alligators. All you have to do is get from here to the other side. And he didn't even finish the sentence, and this guy dove in. And he was swimming so hard, he was almost above the water. You know, he looked like a dolphin. And he's just getting crazy. And the guys are chanting. The alligators are coming after him. And he just barely gets out of the water, gets to the other side, and just makes his way to this wealthy man. And the wealthy man says, well, what do you want? Do you want the million dollars, or do you want my daughter's hand in marriage? And he got his breath and he said, I don't want either one. He said, what do you want? He goes, I want to punch the guy that pushed me in the pool. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard that joke? Every preacher has told that joke, okay? But I thought I, I told it rather well, okay? But that's not courage, okay? We look at something like that sometimes and we see these amazing feats and we say, now that's courage. That's really not courage. Let me give you an example of what I mean by courage this morning. Years ago, there was a young man... He was a three-star athlete, and when he came out of high school, he got the terrible news that uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. The cancer got worse, and actually he went in, and he had a leg amputated. Right before he went in for that surgery, his name was Terry Fox, and when Terry Fox uh, was getting ready to prepare to have his leg amputated, imagine being 19 years old, losing your leg. He saw a documentary about another guy that ran the New York Marathon as an amputee. And so the seed was planted. As soon as he came out of surgery, he started plans for running a marathon. Can you imagine that? And for months, he was with all of these young people who were also battling cancer, and he was inspired to run this marathon for them. Well, he completed the marathon, and then he went to another buddy and said, I have an outrageous idea. I need your help. Will you drive a van? And he's like, look, I don't have a job. Terry, that sounds great. I'll drive your van. So he said, sure, Here, here's the deal. I want to go across the entire country of Canada. Every day I just want to keep moving. And I figured there's 24 million people in Canada. If each person gave $1, that's $24 million. So I'm going to dip my toe in the Atlantic Ocean, and I'm going to run all the way across Canada. Now get this, Terry Fox ran 143 straight days. He covered 3,000 339 miles. By the way, that's averaging 23 miles a day. And that was in 1980. 
He came off in September 1st. He came off basically his run. By February 1st of 1981, that goal of $24 million was reached. Now that is courage. Courage beyond measure. The great theologian Karl Barth said this, Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. Now let me ask you this morning. I want you to be praying throughout my entire message. What do you need courage for this morning? Because for everybody sitting here today, there's something in your life right now, and that's your prayer. Lord, I need courage for what is that? And I just want you to allow God to start working on your heart. If you remember these last two weeks, and this is our third week, we've been talking about John the Baptist, and we remember in Matthew 11, 11, you remember this amazing uh, proposition that Jesus made? He said, of all those born of woman, the greatest man ever born was who? John the Baptist. And then these amazing attributes we need to look at. Last week, we looked at humility, and this week, we're going to look at John the Baptist and his courage. So if you're taking notes, here we go. Number one, this is important. John courageously stood against injustice. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 5. He courageously stood against injustice. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now notice in verse 7 how it switches. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing them, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, let me just pause there because you may be wondering, what does that have to do with injustice? Well, here's what it had to do. He looks out and there's all these people and they're hearing the same message day after day. You need to repent. Repentance means you need to change your life. You need to change your actions. And then people were saying, then what do I do? And he says, I need to baptize you for what? The remission of your sins. In other words, there's something in your life that's just not right with God. And so this will symbolically cleanse you. Now, out of the blue comes the leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. Now, a lot of folks would be like, you know, they hold a lot of weight. I might want to soften my message a little bit. And I don't know if you've ever read the, the book, Dale Carnegie wrote a book years ago, How to Win Friends and Influence Others. Have you ever read that book? You don't start with, you brood of vipers, okay? That's probably not the best opening line, but why is he calling them a brood of vipers? And the answer is because of injustice. He knows you have held these folks hostage with your laws. You've made these folks feel worthless because of your man-made laws. And do you know why you're here? You're here to see the show. Some of you probably are even going to get in the water with me, and you're going to go through a mock baptism because you're not going to make any changes whatsoever. So let's just call this sin what it is. You are leaders leading a lot of folks away, and that is wrong. That is unjust. Now, you think of the courage it took to stand up against the religious false leaders and call them out and say, you need to change. Now, let's be honest. None of us really like to change. We may say we do, but we are all creatures of habit. Raise your hand if you are a creature of habit in the morning. There's a ritual you go through every morning. Am I the only one? Yeah, we, we all have a ritual. And what happens if an individual breaks your ritual? Are those happy thoughts? No. No, you're not happy with somebody who breaks even your morning ritual. Change is hard. One of my favorite comedians, 
is Jim Gaffigan. And here's a couple of observations he has about change. Here's the first one. We're going to bring this up. Some of you have gone with this. I love this. The most annoying are the people that are in exceptionally good shape at the gym. And I'm like, what are you doing here? You're done. You ever felt like that? Yeah. They're changed already. And there you are. And you just, you know, you want a Twinkie. Okay. Here's the second one I love. He says, you want to know what it's like to have a fourth child? Imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. Yeah. Isn't that how you felt sometimes? You know what that is? That's change. Life throws us these curves, and all of a sudden you've got to deal with it, and there's like change. It comes not only in exercise and with raising children, in every area of our life, there's change. We just talked about your morning routine, and I thought, you know, I love change. I'm not really into morning routines, and I'm like, I really am into morning routine. I got to have to have a cup of coffee, and it has to be just right, and this morning we don't have creamer, and that is wrong, okay? So I'm going through, I'm like, I'll use cream, but Lord, you know I deserve better than that. So anyway, I'm kind of going through, and then I, I see dishes that needed to be cleaned, and I'm like, you know, I'm the man of God, and I've got to pray, and I feel God say, hey, idiot, just do the dishes. So I, you know, and then as I'm driving over here, you know what? I'm parked in the same spot I parked every Sunday. How many here parked in the same spot? Good, we're all sinners. Okay, let's just admit it. We all hate change. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, I know you hate change. And because of that, he calls them out. Now, let me just share with you why that's so critical. All of us, because we battle this whole idea of change, we need to come to the realization that God is constantly calling us to change. And here's what he needs all of us to change. Don't get so wrapped up in yourself that you lose sight right in front of you who, who need people who need, desperately need help. There are people right in front of you and there's injustice going on right in front of you. And you may turn around and say, I don't have time to do that. Because that means that I would have to change. There's an amazing uh, man. I would love you to do some research behind the scenes. His name is Gary Hogan. He wrote a book called Good News About Injustice. It's been out for 10 years now. And you can go online and get that book very inexpensively. But let me tell you what I loved about Gary Hogan. He really struck a very deep nerve with me. Uh, when I read this book, and here's why. He was a lawyer, had a government job, and, and honestly, I can't imagine how he could keep his sanity with his job. His job was when there was a world conflict, they would send him over with the legal team, and they would evaluate how bad the situation was, and they'd bring all that data back to D.C. To, to basically figure out, can the United States or should the United States legally do something and oppressed nations. So, for example, they might show up in a situation, and this is what changed his life, to Rwanda. And he walks in, and I'm not exaggerating, into a stadium. And he said, I knew it would be bad, but you have no idea what I saw. They brought hundreds and hundreds, men, women, and children, into this soccer stadium, and they took out machetes, and they killed all of them. And he said, my job was actually to evaluate that situation and take it back to my home office. And here's what he called that moment. He said, this was an ascension moment in my life. Now, here's what he meant by ascension moment. He said, I realized I've been doing this for years. I go to a terrible, unjust situation, and I see it, and I embrace it. And then I come home, and in less than 48 hours, I'm sitting in Starbucks 
getting my favorite coffee, and then I just move on with my life. He said it's just like Jesus who ascended from hell, which was earth, to heaven. Here I am in Rwanda, and two days later, I'm in the United States in Starbucks. And then it hit him. Something's got to change. Instead of me saying somebody else needs to take care of injustice, I need to deal with injustice. We all need to deal with injustice. We all need to say, God, I don't want to change, but I see somebody in need, and I don't want to ignore it anymore. I see kids that are hurting, and I don't want to just walk away anymore. I see a neighbor who's struggling with whatever it is they're struggling with, and I don't want to walk away from that anymore. I don't want ascension moments in my life where one side I'm living this life, another side I'm living this life. Lord, I want you to bring these worlds together. And let me tell you, that is a hard, hard place to be. No one can help everyone, but everyone can help someone. Maybe God has laid on your heart this morning someone And you look at their life and you're like, man, they have been dealt such a difficult hand in life. There is injustice going on. And instead of ignoring that, maybe God's saying, why don't you do something about that? Second of all, John courageously lived every day for what he was willing to die for. In Matthew 14, verses 1 through 13, we see this remarkable story unfold. And here's what's going on. As you know, John the Baptist is not afraid to call anybody out for whatever sin they're going through. And you think, how much more courage could he possibly have? He's already called out the Sadducees, and he's called out the Pharisees. And then he takes it one step farther. And he goes, oh, by the way, Herod, who rules over the land, has just divorced his wife, and he's pursuing his half-brother's wife. Let me just say for the record, that's not a good idea. That's wrong with God. Now, I don't know about you, but that just took it to a whole nother level. Because you got to know, Herod's not going to come running to him and saying, baptize me, I'm a sinner. Instead, he said, dude, you are going to jail. Now, that's paraphrase. That's not in the Bible. Dude, you're going to jail. But that's exactly what he did. And so he throws him in jail. And you know this ridiculous story as it continues. Herod now realizes, I have John the Baptist in jail People love John the Baptist. I'm not sure what to do with him now. His wife, who was humiliated by the whole situation, basically said, we need to do something with John the Baptist. He doesn't know what to do. So this shows you again, Herod's idea was, let's have a party. So he has a birthday party. And at that birthday party, Herodias, his wife, brings the daughter in. And the daughter starts dancing for everybody at the party. And I'm just saying, I think there was a little bit of alcohol involved here. And who knows if the guys were clapping, who knows what's going on. But he goes to the young daughter and he says, I'll give you one wish. And her mom whispers in her ear, we want you to take the head of John the Baptist and bring him on a platter. I think about that. Now Herod, he, he has to do that. As a king, he'd be humiliated. He's already said, I'll give you the one wish. And so he calls for the head of John the Baptist. Bob Russell years ago was talking about he wished there were certain miracles in the Bible. And he said, this is one miracle I wish God would have given us as a gift. I wish when they brought the head of John the Baptist and they opened that up, he said, I wish his eyes would have opened and I wish you would have looked at Harry and go, this is not going to end well for you. You know, (laughs) that's a strange idea. 
But I want you to think of how critical this moment is in time. That John the Baptist has now surrendered his life. He courageously lived every day knowing that eventually he would die for telling the truth. And how powerful that is. We had the leadership summit at Sherwood Oaks uh, last week. And, and honestly, it was amazing. Uh, we hosted probably somewhere between three and 400 leaders and volunteers. Uh, we heard leader, leadership uh, speakers from all over the world. And it was, it was inspiring. And in one of the sessions, they had a, a guy who starred in the movie Selma. And maybe some of you saw the movie Selma. And he said, the experience making that movie has changed my life, and here's why. He said, when we all showed up, the entire cast for Selma before we ever shot it, he said, Andrew Young showed up, and he was with Martin Luther King. He was pretty much his right-hand man through all of the marches. He was there when he was assassinated. And he said, when he showed up, he said, you need to realize that those folks that were on those freedom marches, they lived every day committed to what they were willing to die for. He said, so when you leave this set, after you've made this movie, are you willing to commit every day to what you're willing to die for? So I thought about that, and I'm like, wow, that is a profound thought. Because if we're all honest, if you're a follower of Jesus, isn't it easy to say, I would die for Jesus? If you're a parent, would you die for your kids? Most days, yeah, you know, I would die for my kids, wouldn't you? If you're a grandparent, would you die for your grandkids? Yeah, you would. Now, let's back it up. But are you willing to live for them every day? Are you making daily decisions that you know you're committed to them? Are you making daily decisions that you're committed to Jesus? Dying for him, that's a noble thing to say. Now, living for him every day, that's what it's all about. It's an everyday decision. I think of Peter. And I'm sure you were thinking the very same thing. Do you remember um, Jesus washes his feet and Peter's in denial? You're not going to wash my feet? And then he takes it to a whole other level. Peter goes, not only that, but here's, here's the thing. I will die for you. I will die. And Jesus is like, Peter, seriously, you're going to deny me three times. No, Lord, you don't get it. I will die for you. And what happened? Within a few hours, he was willing to kill for Jesus. Do you remember when he took out the sword and he cut the guy's ear off? That was Peter's way of saying, Lord, I just told you, I'm gonna, I will die for you. I'm, I will die right now. And then all of a sudden, the emotion dies down. And now he's in the daily routine. And they say, do you know Jesus? I don't know Jesus. Now, it's so easy to look at Peter and say, I would never do that. Really? Because I do it all the time. It's so easy to stand up on Sunday morning and say, you need to do this. And then Monday morning rolls around. It's like, man, I got to live that out. Now, that's a little tougher. That's tougher for all of us to live every day with the commitment to Jesus Christ. That's a hard thing to do. You may remember at the very beginning of my message, I talked about Terry Fox and the fact that he went 3,339 miles. But he didn't make it to the Pacific Ocean. That was his goal. Do you want to know why? After he traveled 18 miles on the last day before he came off of the road, he couldn't breathe. He didn't know what was wrong, but he just couldn't breathe. He, he plowed through, and I can't imagine, he plowed through another three, four miles, and he, couldn't, he could not breathe at all. Finally, he collapsed. They pulled him off the road, took him to the hospital, and ran tests. 
Terry Fox, his body was being eaten away by cancer. It was in his lungs. He didn't even live another year. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like the way that story ends. Do you? And when I read the story of John the Baptist, I've got to be honest, I don't like the way that story ends. And the honest truth is when you commit to Jesus Christ, in our minds, we might have an idea how our stories are going to end. We have no idea how our stories are going to end. All I know is I hope when my story ends, people will say, he gave it everything he had till the very end. He gave everything he had. And you know what that is? That's courage. That's the prayer I have for everybody sitting here today is to have that kind of courage. In just a few moments, we're going to have an invitation, but I want you to think about it a little differently this morning, about what I'm inviting you to do. As I was praying through this message, I thought, man, I can't imagine how many folks here today are begging for courage because of what you're going through. Maybe some of you, you're at school, and living out, being a Christian at school is one of the hardest things you've ever experienced in your life, and you just need courage. Some of you, it may be work. You may be surrounded by folks that don't know Jesus Christ, that care, could care less about Jesus Christ, and you're just trying to live out your faith, and honestly, you can't stand where you work, and every Monday morning, you just need courage. For some of you, it's your family. Maybe there's a family member who is so far away from God right now, you just need courage every day to deal with that decision. Maybe some of you are in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. And you need the courage to say, something's got to change. Maybe for some of you, you're dealing with a health issue. And you just need courage. So here's what we want you to know. We ask every week if you'd like to come forward and have a word of prayer. And I realized, I, I, it hit me last week, how hard that is to walk in front of a bunch of people you don't even know. And that's asking too much. So I want you to know that in the back, we have a prayer room. Mark mentioned it, and it's in a bar. And the reason we have folks there, and I want you to turn around and just look, and they're right there, is at any time as we're singing here or any time after the service, we want you to go there and just pray for whatever it is. And you may be praying on behalf of somebody else. You might go in and say, God has laid somebody in my heart, and I know they need courage. They need encouragement. But I want to challenge you to start praying. I want us to be a congregation that just starts praying. And this morning, we pray for courage.